I'm going after this. And after done a little bit of thinking, I've done the Gospel of John. Brother Fisher's done Revelation. I'm doing 1 John. If we knock out 2nd and 3rd John, we've knocked out everything John has to say. So we're going to go to 2nd and 3rd John next. Uh, and they won't take us very long. If you also got a pew Bible, they're on the same page we're on today. So it's not going to take us too long. Uh, but today, we're picking up exactly where we left off. You recall that last Sunday, we looked at 1 John chapter 5, we wrapped up with verse 4, and I told you I was going to start off with verse 4 again today. So that's exactly where we start. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, we're going to go verses 4 through 6. We're not covering a lot of ground, but we're going to talk about how we can be overcomers. Uh, and there's a great old hymn in the hymnal that talks about this, uh, number 486, where it says, Faith is the victory. Uh, I can't help but think of that hymn while I'm going through this. Uh, but let's read our passage. 1 John chapter 5, start at verse 4, we'll go to verse 6. John says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get to looking at this. <clears throat> Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for the song we just sang. You are the rock of all ages. No matter how much things may be topsy-turvy and twisted around in this world, you are a rock. And you change not. So we thank you for that. We don't know where this world's going, but we do know that you're in control. And we do know that if we rely on you, you're going to guide us through. So we're asking for that guidance through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Show us what you'd have for us. It's in your name I ask it. Amen. So today, as I say, we're backing up. And we're looking at some of what we looked at last time uh, to see both sides of a transition. Remember, I told you we're going to leave off with verse 4 last week. We're starting off with verse 4 because we're make, shifting gears. John's trying to wrap up his uh, book here. So let's read verse 4 again. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I like what John says in the second half of this verse. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. He's pointing out to us exactly what it is that enables a believer to overcome this world. This is quite a world we're in. And remember, when we're talking about the world, we're talking about the world and its system. Uh, I was just telling Brother Fisher, right, right now in the world, we've got two of the major superpowers in the world are being controlled by madmen. Uh, which is not unprecedented. Uh, uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, arguably the First World War, you had Napoleon on one hand, and you had Mad King George on the other hand. Uh, both of them equally mad, uh, and it led to a world war. Not unprecedented. These things happen. But you know what? God's still the same. 
God brought people through then, God will bring people through here. And the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. That's what enables us to overcome the world. Faith is the answer. By the way, I, just a piece of trivia i got to point out to you. This is the only time in John's writing, all of John's writing, where the word pistis, the noun form of faith, is used. The only time. Every other time John sees faith as a verb, pisteo. But this time he says pistis, which is a noun. Something, what's the significance, Brother Dan? What, who cares whether it's a noun or a verb? Well, let's go back to English. Uh, you remember what a verb is, right? It's showing action, something you put into action. So every other time John's looking at faith, he's looking at our faith in action. This time he's looking at it as a noun. What's a noun? An object, something tangible, person, place, or thing. This is a noun. This pulpit here is a noun. It is solid. It is firm. I can grab it. I can hold it. John's using noun to describe our faith, something tangible, something solid, an object we can hold. Something to be possessed. And when we possess that faith, that's when we can overcome the world. That's pretty significant, I'd say. So let's move on to verse 5. Now we're going to get into new territory today. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So now verse 5 goes on to explain the nature of that faith. He says that it's the faith that gives us the victory to overcome the world. And who is it that overcomes the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now he answers the question himself. It's a rhetorical question. Uh, and it's that faith in Jesus as the Son of God that enables believers to overcome the world, you see. Based on what we've looked at so far in the book of 1 John, the influence of the world has come primarily through false teachers and their worldviews, right? That's what 1 John's been all about. There have been false teachers, there have been heretics in this church John's writing to. Uh, and their worldviews have been influencing the church. And as we're going to see next time when we get together, and we're looking at verses 9 through 10, uh, we're going to see that a little more clearly. Let's, I'll steal my own thunder. Let's look at it. He says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, that he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. We're going to get there next time. But in order to overcome the world, you see, John's followers need to persist in their faith in Christ, in spite of what the world's doing around them, in spite of what we see in the news, and in spite of what's going on around us. We need to persist in our faith. Our faith that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is, in fact, in control. Let the world run mad. But we need something firm to grasp that. The rock of all ages. His name is wonderful. That was a good spot for it. Hey, thank you. I needed one. Thank you, Diane. I needed that right there. You see, 
only when a believer truly understands that Jesus is the Son of God can they be said to have overcome the world. The world doesn't bother me anymore. The world has no power over me anymore because my trust, my faith, is in Jesus Christ. The false teachers who deny this fact were, in John's mind, just part of the world. They're, they're just exactly the same as the rest of the world. And we saw that. Let's back up and we'll see where he said that. Uh, back in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Skip over to uh, chapter 4. We'll read the first three verses of chapter 4. He says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. John says that these people who don't believe in Jesus Christ are just part of the world. If they don't believe that he is what he said he is, they're just part of this world and its system. No different. No matter what they may claim, they're no different. When you align yourself with the world's point of view, you put yourself under the power of the devil. We're going to see that when we come down to verse 19 also. I'll steal my own thunder again. I'm going to do this a lot this morning. Chapter 5, verse 19, he says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We're of God, if we're believers, and the whole world is in wickedness. I think we all agree on that, right? It's not hard to see. Now, <clears throat> something else that's impossible to see, if you only read the King James English, is that John uses two different tenses to describe this overcoming. I talked about it last time. I'm going to expand on it a little bit more today. The King James says in verses 4 and 5, overcometh three times. But John uses the uh, aorist tense, nikasasa, in verse 4, uh, bottom of verse 4, which describes, in, it's a past tense, it's describing an action which has happened in the past, something that has already happened. Whereas in verse 5, he says Nikon, which is a present tense. That means that when we've expressed faith in Christ, we have gained victory over the world at our salvation in the past, and that through faith we can continue to have that victory in the present. When he uses both these terms, and you, you cannot see that by reading any English translation. Uh, actually, some of, the, some of the other English translations do make it a little more clearly. Uh, but when you're looking at the Greek, you see that we've had victory in the past when we were saved, and we will continue to have victory throughout. What a blessing that is, huh? What a blessing that is. Not only that, but the world can do nothing to reclaim their loss. 
They've lost us. They no longer have victory over us, and they can do nothing to reclaim it. A believer is forever God's. We had victory in the past, and we will continue to have victory through the present. You can't lose your salvation. It's a little bit veiled here in that verse, but it's there, isn't it? Let's move to verse 6, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. I'm going to spend a little time on this verse. So now that John's spoken of those who have overcome the world as those people who believe in Jesus as the Son of God, now John's going to describe this Jesus that we believe in. Right? We might as well... All right, who is Jesus? We better answer that question. You better be able to answer that question when somebody asks. Well, you know, you go out in this world and they ask you, well, how can you be so firm in your faith and not, not be worried? Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Can you answer that? That's right. This is he that came by the water and the blood, even Jesus Christ. He that came by water and blood. Now, different commentators are going to tell you all kinds of different things about this. I'm going to tell you what I believe. You can take that back, and you can study it out yourself and see how it measures up in the rest of God's Word. All right? <clears throat> you will find other commentators say other things. I believe that the water spoken of here refers to Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And I will explain why. The blood is pretty easy. I don't think I have to explain the blood aspect of it too much. That's referring to Christ's atoning work on the cross. I think that's very clear. The water, I believe it's talking about Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And it's, he goes on to say that the Spirit is the one who testifies that the claims of Jesus are true. Now, as you try to break down this verse, we see that it's the job of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ has come. See, the Holy Spirit then begins a work inside of a believer to convict them of their sin and to make them realize their need of a Savior. I was talking offline with Brother Fisher about this just last Sunday. I'm not going to get into it right now. Uh, but the Holy Spirit begins the work. He opens the mind to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And we're going to see that when we get to verse 10. I already read it to you this morning. I'm not going to read it again. We're going to see it next time when we're talking about verse 10. And once he has accomplished that, he lives in the believer and teaches them the truth about God's word which we've already saw. Let's back up. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 27. It says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all, of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So he abides in us, and we abide in him. Move over to... Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. 
So the Spirit's the teacher here. So the question, I, I put a provocative thing out there at the beginning of this discussion. Let's return to it. Why does John feel that he has to say that Jesus came by water and by blood? Why does he bring that up? If it can confuse us today, I just told you that different commentators say all kinds of different things on this. If it's such a confusing topic, why does he even bring it up? Because he's trying to make a distinction between what he believed and what the false teachers taught. You see, he's, he makes the claim, and I just spent a long time just explaining that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. John is instructed by the Holy Spirit. I hope you are instructed by the Holy Spirit. I hope I am instructed by the Holy Spirit. The false teachers are not instructed by the Holy Spirit, and that's why they get it wrong. <clears throat> that's why John brings this issue up. And that's why he goes back and says, and not by water only, but by water and blood. He's trying to make a point here. This is Jesus. He came by water and by blood. And not by water only, but by water and blood. I'm making a big point here, John says. Nobody argued that Jesus came and was baptized by John. Remember, that's what I said, my belief when he's talking about water. No one argued that. No one argued that Jesus had a ministry after that. No one argued that he'd lived and walked on this earth and that he'd met with people and was a rabbi. What they argued with was that he was the Messiah and that he had shed his blood as an atoning work for sin. That was the thing that was at question, and that's what John wants to clear up here. Now, I mentioned that other commentators have other views, so let me point some of them out. I'm not going to leave you blindsided. I'm going to let point them out to you. You sort it out on your own. I'll explain why some of them I don't believe hold up. Some people will say that Jesus is coming by water refers to the waters of birth, the natural birth waters. Uh, and these people would be emphasizing that Jesus was human. That's their focus. Uh, and at first that seems to make sense. He was in fact human, wasn't he? Uh, not a bad case to make. And that seems to hold up until you read the second half of verse 6, where John says, not by water only, as if that were an accepted fact. When he repeats himself, he's, everybody accepts that he was born by water. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't an accepted fact. If we turn back to chapter 4 and verse 2, we see that it was, not a, it was actually a debated fact. They were questioning the humanity of Jesus. John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So that was a debated thing. So I don't believe that's the case John's trying to make here. He's talking about this as if this were an accepted fact. Jesus' humanity was not really an accepted fact. By the way, one of the major heresies of John's day wasn't that Jesus wasn't God. Everybody believed Jesus was God. Look at the miracles he did. We can't deny that. What they were denying was he was God, but he wasn't human. That's a little different case than what we typically have today. Uh, anyway, I don't want to beat that to death. 
Uh, so it seems very unlikely to me that he was referring to natural birth waters here when he's talking about waters, when it clearly was a bone of contention. Another view, not as popular, which you might come across, is that the uh, water and the blood together, when you see them paired together, they refer to Jesus' truly human form. I'll explain. The Jews of John's day taught, had a teaching that the human body was made up of two main elements, water and blood. That is significant. That is a fact. That is significant. And that was part of the significance of water and blood flowing out of Christ's side at the crucifixion, as you recall. Because what that pointed to a Jewish leader, the Jewish leaders were all standing there on Mount Calvary watching this execution that they'd put through, and when they saw the spear pierce his side and they saw water and blood come out, that was a clear indication to them that said, his humanity is gone. He's given up all of his humanity. And that's true. But I don't think that's the case John's trying to make here. Uh, I will admit that that theory, although it is unpopular, does have some credence. Since the humanity of Jesus is one of the very things John's trying to prove to these teachers. Another one that makes a little bit of sense, but I think it misses John's greater point, is that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. Uh, you recall that uh, there was water, there was washing of water, and there was blood being passed out on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and certainly, the atoning sacrifice on Calvary was the focal point of Jesus' ministry. There's no denying that. That absolutely was the focus. And in fact, if we don't have that as our focus, we miss the gospel. Uh, but I don't believe that's the point John's trying to make here either. Because it's a little fuzzy. I think we've ridden that horse far enough. I pointed out some of the major, those are some of the major views. My view is that the water John speaks of here is the water of baptism by John the Baptist. Because that was, they couldn't be denied. No one tried to argue that. So let's wrap that up and let's have a closing thought and we'll be done here today. What we have seen last week and this week is John making the case to these people who truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God will also believe that he's the one who came by water and by blood. And those facts are all attested to by the Holy Spirit himself. We see that at the bottom of the verse 6. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Let's look at that just a little bit, and we'll be done. <clears throat> John describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Uh, we saw that in chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's very similar language to what John's using here in verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. That's also very similar to language that uh, John used to describe Jesus' teaching in the upper room. Let's go back to the upper room. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 14. See how many times this happened. This is a focus of John's. John chapter 14, verse 17. 
He's talking about the promise of the Comforter. Uh, We'll back up to verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another Comforter, that that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Same setting, it's still the upper room, chapter 15, verse 26. Same page on the Pew Bible. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Same page in the Pew Bible, same setting, chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Both here in 1 John and in John's Gospel, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to the truth about Jesus. A lot of people are confused about the ministry of the Holy Spirit these days. But his goal, very clearly, is to bear witness to the truth about Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we saw that the Holy Spirit is mostly defending the claims of Christ against the attacks of the world. Jesus was certainly under attack from the world in his day when he was walking this earth, wasn't he? He was under such attack that they killed him. That's a pretty strong attack. In 1 John... The Holy Spirit's ministry is mostly to bear witness to believers that the teachings that they've received, and what you and I are receiving right now, I hope, are true also. As we saw back in chapter 2, verse 24 to 27, which we read earlier. See, here in chapter 5, verse 6, he is the witness that Jesus came by water and by blood. Do you see something significant that's going on here as we wrap this up? We've seen today all three persons of the Godhead testifying to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God the Father is testifying, Jesus himself is testifying, and the Holy Spirit is testifying that Jesus is who he says he is. Have you believed him this morning? I pray that you have. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the 